Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 98 of the Draft Atlas, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tricotti, and I'm joined by Tony Polian, as always. And Tony, the college football regular season is officially behind us. What will you remember most from the 2019 campaign? Uh, you know, things going from bad to worse at Alabama. First, they lose that game to LSU, and a week later, they lose two at Tagliavoa to that uh, serious hip injury when they probably shouldn't have even been on the field. Uh, Joe Burrow's dramatic rise, uh, both in the college football realm as well as up uh, NFL draft boards. I mean, Burrow's a guy who comes into the season with late-round grades, uh, carries that LSU offense on his shoulders, and now they're in the hunt for a national title, and he's in the hunt to be one of the first two or three players selected in next year's draft. And I think the improvement of Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, very impressed with him as a passer. I mean, the way he's getting it between his ears, the way he's reading the defenses, his decision-making, everything else. I think those three things, which all deal with quarterbacks, uh, really stood out to me for the 2019 college football season. And in the end, I mean, it's always going to be the quarterbacks that garner the attention, not only when it comes to the draft, when, you know, if you have a good quarterback prospect, they're going to go high in the draft just because the demand is there, but also at the college level. Because if you look at the LSU team, I remember when we were doing our shows heading into the season, and I mentioned questions around Joe Burrow as a reason why I was not super confident in LSU this season, but obviously Joe Burrow comes out and is arguably the top quarterback in college football is going to win possibly the Heisman trophy. And that team has just taken off from a team that kind of lives in that five to 10 ranked range to now a potential number one team. So some people may say, well, there's more to it than just the quarterbacks. But in this case, that tells a lot of the story of any season, really. Yeah, I think with LSU also, you, you kind of question Ed Orgeron's ability to coach in the big spot. And I think that Joe Burrow helped prove that Ed Orgeron can coach in the big spot. So, yeah, I, I agree with you about the uh, quarterbacks. And listen, you know, we saw it last year in the SEC title game when uh, Tua Tagliavoa was struggling, was injured. Who comes in? Jalen Hurts comes in, uh, helps Alabama win the SEC title, another comeback win against Georgia. Uh, uh, and then what happens? He goes on and uh, – they play the national title game, and who do they lose to? They lose to a potentially great quarterback on Lawrence from Clemson. So, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I mean, a, a little goes a long way at the quarterback position uh, on the college level. Now, before we take a look at some of the games from the final weekend of the regular season, here's a word from our sponsor. For everybody out there in the dating world, it can get pretty frustrating trying to hit that first note, that first communication online with someone that you're interested in. So how do you break the ice and stand out? without looking stupid. And for that, there's a new app out there called Charm. It actually helps men communicate better. Charm uses both your friends and professionals to give you advice tailored to your match. For example, the most opening lines are, hey, and you're beautiful. 
if you're on the receiving end, you want to hear you're beautiful for the hundredth time, my wife probably would. Yeah, mine too, but maybe it's just a single woman thing. Guys, you have to get on Charmed immediately. It will make your dating life so much easier. Girls are looking for a reason to skip you. I mean, there's a reason that Tony was single for almost 40 years. The people at Charmed are professionals who have come up with a way for you to be classy, unique, sophisticated, and interesting. And that is how you're going to get dates. Well, you know, I was single for 37 years because I wanted to be single for 37 years. But my life would have probably much more fun if I had an app like Charmed. So guys, hurry up and visit www.charmed.app to get Charmed. Your future matches will thank you. Now, looking back at that final regular season week here, we were very interested to see how Washington State quarterback Anthony Gordon played against the Washington Huskies defense, probably his second toughest test of the year behind Utah. Unfortunately, this one didn't go so well. He was 48 for 62 passing, which looks good. It's almost 80%, but only 308 yards. That's less than five yards per attempt. No touchdowns, two interceptions. He was really dinking and dunking all game. They weren't putting any pressure downfield on the Washington defense. The Huskies picked up their pressure in terms of getting after Gordon in the second quarter, ended up with four sacks in the first half. Those two interceptions I mentioned for Gordon, both of them were just awful decisions and very poor throws. His fourth quarter pick essentially ended the game, even though there were 10 and a half minutes left. It was a two possession game and they just couldn't get anything going. What I do like about Gordon and what you see from him on a weekly basis is the ability to throw from different arm angles. He can create passing windows, but sometimes he overdoes it a bit with the creativity. He'll drift. He won't set his feet. He throws a bit. There was that second interception he threw where he almost underhanded that ball. It was like a sidewinding submarine type of throw, and it sailed on the receiver. He has an average arm overall. Washington defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake, who is soon to be the Huskies head coach, has Mike Leach's number. I think they've won six straight Apple Cups. And in the end, this was a really ugly one for Gordon and the Cougars. Everyone wanted to stretch it and make the comparison to the next Gardner Minshew, guy who came out of nowhere. But, you know, like you said, barely five yards per attempt. Couldn't get the team in the end zone. Costly turnovers. I think that cost Gordon a lot. Not only the fact that they couldn't beat Washington, but I think it also cost him a lot in the eyes of scouts. I think if he had won this game, scouts would have thought maybe there may be some of that Gardner Minshew magic to him. But the way they lost, 62 pass attempts, 308 yards, uh, not a good number. Uh, so, so he's probably going to end up playing in either the Shrine game or the NFLPA game rather than the Senior Bowl where we saw Gardner Minshew a year ago. Yeah, I mean, you look at Gardner Minshew, and obviously it's easy to look back in hindsight on him and see what he did in Jacksonville this season. Obviously, he's taken back over for Nick Foles, the you know high-priced free agent acquisition down there for the Jags. But Minshew just has that it factor. And I can honestly say that I didn't expect him to be an NFL starter. I thought he was a very good sixth-round pick. I thought he was a guy that could linger in the league as a backup for a very long time because of just that kind of swagger he plays with, that confidence, the fact that people and players around him respond to him. You don't really see that with Gordon, even though the physical tools, you could argue, might be more tantalizing. I'm not even talking about the, uh, the NFL prospects of either Gordon or Minshew. I'm just talking about a comparison to where they are in equal points in their career. I mean, like Minshew, no one really knew about Gordon before the season began. He was in a, basically a fight for the starting job. He basically played better than people thought. 
People want to see a steady line of progression, as we saw with, with Minshew. Don't think we've seen it the past couple years. Actually, the entire Washington State program has uh, struggled, and Mike Leach has been one of their biggest critics. Gordon, listen, no one knew about him a year ago. He's going to get a chance in an NFL camp next summer. Whether or not he's drafted, I don't know. So he's ahead of the curve. It's just I think that everyone was looking for a bit of that Gordon Minshew magic in him, and he kind of fell flat at the end of the season. Now we're going to go back to P.J. Fleck and Minnesota again this week, this time on the defensive side of the ball, where we were looking at Gophers linebacker Kamal Martin, who's a recent Senior Bowl invite, and also Thomas Barber, his teammate. They were going up against Jonathan Taylor, the star running back for the Badgers, and Jake Ferguson, the tight end. Like Gordon, not a great day here for either of these Gophers. Ferguson had just one catch for 20 yards, so he didn't make a big impact on the game. But neither Martin nor Barber really saw a ton of coverage on him, so it's hard to credit them with any of Ferguson's issues there. Jonathan Taylor, though, totaled three touchdowns, over 100 total yards, caught one pass against Martin, where Martin kind of dropped a bit too far back, a bit hesitant, covering him and picking him up. Didn't really close on him either and allowed Taylor to gain a lot of yardage after the catch. Both of these linebackers, to me, looked like limited athletes. Martin had nine tackles. Four of them were solo. Barber had six tackles. Only one was solo. Both guys are very patient defenders. They have good gap discipline. They're smart, heady players. They have the ability to fill the hole. But I'm not too sure what their futures hold here, based not only on this performance, but just their overall athleticism and body of work. Wisconsin really didn't need Ferguson because Quentin Cephas, the receiver, really stepped up his game. I mean, five receptions, 114 yards one touchdown, and he's the playmaker that when he's on his game, he's really tough to stop. Uh, you know, as far as the, the linebackers concerned, I, I think it was, a, uh, it was an efficient game for him. It wasn't a great game. He didn't have too many breakdowns. Solid in the scheme. I think what happened was is Minnesota just kind of fell behind, and they were not really able to catch up. It wasn't a great game by Taylor. I, I think all in all, Quentin Cephas was the big winner here. Uh, and that really put uh, Wisconsin out of reach and kind of took uh, Kamal Martin and Minnesota out of the game. Yeah, and one thing I did notice about Kamal Martin and also Barber is that they come off the field on a lot of third downs and a lot of obvious passing situations. So as you said, when they're not running the football, when they're looking to the pass, and when a guy like Quintez Cephas, who has really had a good season, he was reinstated during the summer after some allegations ended up being false. But, I mean, this is a guy really fights through contact well. He's smooth. He's athletic. He shows some good concentration bringing balls in, good extension to grab passes away from his frame. I mean, he's a very impressive player. And yes, his production is always going to limit a guy like Ferguson's production because Cephas is maybe more of a big wide receiver, more of a tight end, more of a you know, a bigger body type of guy. He's not your speedster down the field who's not going to take similar looks away from a guy like Ferguson. But between Cephas being impressive and the passing game clicking, as you said, really did kind of limit the linebackers in this one. Yeah, I, I think Cephas has got better speed than what you give him, give him credit for. I think he's got a bit of uh, the ability to get down the field. Uh, it's just a matter of him being more consistent, you know, putting up some uh, bigger numbers. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if he returns to school. I haven't heard anything that he's definitely entering the draft. I think he should. Uh, needs a little bit of a bigger body of work, but – you know, for a guy who was suspended at the beginning of the year, comes in, has 45 receptions for 720 yards, six TDs, and a big game coming up against Ohio State and that, uh, that dominant secondary that they've got back there. We'll see how he does uh, in the Big Ten uh, title game. 
Oh, yeah, and I wasn't trying to knock his speed at all. I mean, obviously, granted, you know, Thomas Barber's a mismatch on him, but he just blew right by Barber for a long TD. For his size, I mean, yes, he's a bigger body type of guy who can run a lot of those Ferguson routes, but that doesn't take away from what he can do downfield, both at the catch point and with his athletic ability. I mean, he has the full package. As you said, it's just a matter of getting that experience and kind of pulling it all together. And again, you know, the Big Ten game against Ohio State is a chance for him to – have a statement game or to prove that he needs to come back for another season on the college field. Now we'll stick with the big 10 here and take a look at Iowa, Nebraska. Now, unlike our first two reviews, this was actually a close game. We wanted to see friend of the podcast, Carlos Davis go up against the Hawkeyes, big offensive tackles, Tristan Wirfs and Alaric Jackson, just one tackle in this game though, a rough game overall for Davis couldn't really get any push on either offensive lineman watched out of plays consistently too much dipping his shoulder and just taking himself out of plays his twin brother Khalil had a lot more success than him in this game and frankly has had more success than him throughout the season as well Tony did you see the same yeah absolutely now both brothers are going to be at the shrine game I I think you know from where we spoke to Carlos Davis over the summer I I think we spoke to him again he'd probably be disappointed he was not able to make the plays that he wanted to when we talked to him over the summer, he said he was, he was going to be in a more of a playmaking mold, a playmaking position this year. Really hasn't happened. I mean, he came into the season as a fifth rounder. I think he could still be a fifth rounder with a good week of shrine practices. He's very likely to get a senior bowl invite, a uh, combine invite. I apologize. I think his brothers helped himself. Uh, but the thing with Davis is coming into the season, everyone thought he was a three-technique tackle. If he was able to make plays at his new position, which was basically a defensive end in the three-man line, maybe people thought he had that versatility to play in the three-man line. Hasn't happened. So moving forward, basically the opinion is the same about Carlos Davis. He's best as a three-technique tackle, which is okay. But the problem is, is there are only a few teams that employ a three-technique tackle. So really in the law of supply and demand, there's more three-technique tackles out there than demand, which is going to depress his draft stock. Now, a guy who did find success on the other side of things, sticking defensively, was Iowa defensive end A.J. Epinesa. Really a monster game from him. One of the better games that we've seen, probably from a big-time draft prospect all season. 14 tackles, 9 solo, 5 tackles for loss, and 2 sacks. I mean, these are numbers that you don't see from a defensive end very often, if ever. He was a monster against both the run and the pass penetrating the backfield, stopping running backs behind the line of scrimmage, getting to the quarterback, shedding blocks to make stops around the line of scrimmage for short gains. Just really an overall massive game for Epineza. And he's a guy that you called a riser this week over at Pro Football Network. And the thing about it is a game like that from an underclassman is usually a statement game where he's playing his final game uh, on the calls or his final regular season game. Now, I've been led to believe that right now both A.J. Epinesa and Tristan Wirfs are leaning towards returning to Iowa. That can change. I mean, now you're talking about guys who are looking at it from an emotional, sentimental point of view. Eventually, if they do some research, they see the money they're going to make, they'll take off to the next level. But it is interesting that he uh, had such a tremendous game uh, during the final regular season game. And the word is, is he's leaning towards staying. I I wonder if that has, has since changed. I wonder if that changed in his mind before the game. And he basically is like, you know, I'm going to go off in style, which he absolutely did and showed his dominance. I still have my concerns about Epinesa as a true edge rusher, but I don't have my concerns about him being a complete three down defensive end in a four man line. As far as 
maybe he's not as good an edge rusher as some of the top guys. Obviously, Chase Young, Gross Matos of, of Penn State. But I think he's a more complete player and that he's better in uh, against the run. He's stouter at the point of attack. We'll see what happens moving forward. Now, for our last review on this week's show, we'll head to Stanford, where the Cardinal were rolled by Notre Dame 45-24. But we're not actually going to look too closely at this game here. We're going to look more at kind of the whole season for the Stanford Cardinal, 4-8 and eight overall. They had, coming into the year, 10 straight seasons with at least twice as many wins as they had this year. They had at least eight wins for the last decade every year, and they went 4-8 and eight this year. Obviously, injuries played a part in the disappointing campaign. Quarterback K.J. Costello dealt with head injuries, thumb injuries this season. Backup quarterback Davis Mills played through some injuries. Cornerback Paulson Adebo and safety Malik Antoine missed time in the secondary. Just a rough season overall for Stanford. And honestly, the fans seem to know it by the end here because that game was played in a ghost town. Well, I'll get to that in a second, but you probably missed the biggest injury. That was Walker Little, who uh, went down early in the season, the left tackle, who if he played up to expectations, he probably is moving towards the draft as a potential top 20 pick. We'll get into the, uh, what the underclassmen of Stanford are going to do. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched that game, and I couldn't fathom how empty that, that stadium was. Forget about the fact that Stanford's playing poorly. This is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame usually travels well, and even you've got Notre Dame fans around the country. And really, that looked like a game where UTEP may have been playing, not Stanford-Notre Dame. I mean, I was shocked how empty that stadium is. And there's a bunch of concern there, whether it's in Stanford. There was a big article kind of off the beaten path uh, in ESPN about two weeks ago about the big, huge uh, football stadium that's going up in L.A., state-of-the-art. I think it's going to cost like three-plus billion dollars or three to five billion dollars. Going to host the Rams, going to host the Chargers. And now they're wondering if they can sell tickets to that stadium. So... I think it's probably more an issue in the state of California than it is just in Stanford. But, yeah, I was shocked to see Notre Dame of all universities playing in front of what was had to be a stadium that was 60% empty. Yeah, shame on me for forgetting that Walker Little injury. It happened so early in the season that, for me, it's just been kind of out of sight, out of mind. But, I mean, that, yeah, that's, as you said, arguably the biggest injury that they had because – He's a first-round player, and without a guy like that at the college level, you just don't fill in with your backups anywhere near the same level there. As a result, obviously, Stanford, just a bad team this year, and with a bad team can often come a lot of upheaval in the offseason. Do you have any word on some of the Stanford underclassmen as it pertains to possibly heading to the draft? I'm told that most of them are likely to stay. Uh, The word is or the belief is right now that they're, you know, the way they're talking, that, that they're going to return, whether it, it is uh, Walker Little, the offensive tackle, whether it is Paulson Adebo, who even before the injury was playing poor football. I mean, we've talked about Gabe Davis a couple times on this uh, on this podcast. Gabe Davis just announced today, uh, today or yesterday that he's entering the draft. He's going to be a top 45 pick, and he beat down Paulson Adebo, whether it be uh, the tight end Colby Parkinson who people believe will be a second-day choice. I'm told the word is or the way that the underclassmen at Stanford are talking, the feeling is all those top guys are very likely to be back in Stanford Cardinal uniforms for 2020. Now flip to the other side of this game here and look at Notre Dame. Are any players looking likely to declare from the Irish? 
I am told that safety Aloha Gilman is very likely to enter the draft. People have come out and told me outright he's going to enter the draft. I like him. I have him graded as a fourth-round choice. I think he's a solid player. He's a very typical Notre Dame safety. Not the greatest athlete, not the rangiest guy, but tough, efficient, really sells out to make plays. So I, I think the safety class for 2020 draft, which really doesn't look that good, is very likely to get an infusion of talent from Aloha Goldman of Notre Dame from what I'm hearing. Now we'll get to some conference championship previews in just a minute, but before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcasts to get in touch. Now we get a standalone game this week on Friday night between Utah and Oregon at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, the Pac-12 championship game, and it is your quintessential offense versus defense matchup. We talk often on this show, possibly too much, about Justin Herbert not stepping up in big games. Well, this is his chance with the whole country watching, nobody else is playing. Herbert is averaging over 260 pass yards per game, but Utah allows under 200 pass yards per game, around 185. Jalen Johnson at corner, Javelin Gidry at corner, Julian Blackman at safety. This is an elite youth secondary. Johnson has a good chance to lock down Juwan Johnson on the Oregon side of things and possibly take away Herbert's top receiver. Bradley and A, Lecky Fotu, Francis Bernard, all these guys in the front seven can get after the passer. That's going to be a challenge for Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton up front for Oregon. It looks like everything in this one, Tony, is working against Herbert. Do we think he can go against the grain here and finally come through for that big game we've been waiting for for what feels like years? Yeah, I, I, I can't see it happening. I mean, I think Utah's going to win this game pretty big because of that. This is a redemption game for Herbert, who played terribly against Arizona State and basically lost the game and outwent uh, Oregon's chances to play for a national title. You know, you mentioned it. The Utah secondary is not LSU secondary but they are darn good. And they've got guys who could be starters at the next level, like Jalen Johnson, or they've got players who are going to be nickel and dime backs, like Julian Blackman, like Terrell Burgess, the safety, who was not even graded coming into the season, and now he looks like a late-round pick. Let's not forget about our guy Francis Bernard, someone we talked about on this podcast you know, back in August, who wasn't graded by scouts, now looks like he's going to be a second-day pick. Uh, so Herbert's going to be uh, up against it when he plays against that secondary. And as you mentioned, you know, that front line of Utah's defense is really going to test the uh, Oregon offensive line. And they've got some talented players. Fotu's a guy who is probably going to be a day three pick. But he's got the talent, the power, the athleticism to be a top 90 selection. But he doesn't always put the pedal to the metal. Uh, Bradley Anay is a guy who can give Throckmorton fits off the edge because he's quick, he's explosive, he plays with balance and speed. And, and John uh, Penasini, he's the type of guy that, if Fotu had Penasini's intensity and motor, Fotu is probably a top 45 selection because Penasini doesn't have the physical skills of his teammates, but the motor just never stops with the guy. So, I mean, this is a redemption game for Justin Herbert. This is a game where he can kind of right the ship. But this is a game that really for the past two and a half years, he's failed. He's never met expectations, and he's always fallen short. So, you know, I'm, until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Now we'll hit the small schools here and look at the Sun Belt championship game between Louisiana Lafayette and Appalachian State. For the third straight year, 
App State has had a player invited to the Senior Bowl. This season, it's linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither, 6'2", 215 pounds, a big-time playmaker, can blitz, can cover, can really do it all in all aspects of the game. Running back Darrington Evans leads the Sun Belt with 16 rushing touchdowns. I believe he's third in yards. He's 5'11", 200 pounds. Not really much of a receiver, though, but he's reportedly considering the draft. Tony, fill us in on these two players and anything you might know about Evans' future. Well, we'll go with Evans first. I mean, this is his second year in a row uh, that he uh, he's rushed for over 1,000 uh, yards. He filled in for, who was it, Jalen Moore a year ago, who was highly rated by NFL scouts but had an ankle injury early in the year. What I'm told about Evans is this is, once this game is over, he's really going to sit down and look at his next level options. He's really going to get opinions. He's going to reach out to get grades. I think Evans, you know, like you said, he's a nice player. He's not a great player. I see him as an early day three pick, fourth round type of back, maybe a fifth round type of back. But I don't think he's the type of guy that's really going to improve his draft stock by returning to Appalachian State. If he returns to Appalachian State, it's because he likes playing college football. He likes the whole atmosphere at Appalachian State. I don't think he gains a lot as far as draft stock is concerned uh, by returning to App State. So the situation is this. Once the Sunbelt Conference is over, Evans is going to put his nose to the grindstone, get information, get opinions, and then make his decision on whether or not he's going to enter the draft. Like you said, I think it's about 50-50 right now. As far as Davis Gaither is concerned, he's probably one of the best space linebackers that will be in the 2020 NFL draft that people aren't talking about. I see him as a second-day pick. He's a guy that covers a lot of area. He's undersized, but he plays that linebacker position almost like a strong safety, the way he goes sideline to sideline, the way he gets depth on, on uh, pass drops, the way he plays in pursuit, and also the way he, at times, is easily taken out of the action by box. But, you know, you look at the league, what is the league doing with the linebackers these days? Undersized guys who can run through the uh, football and get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. That's what uh, Davis Gaither does and does well. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the Raging Cajuns as well. These are two very high-scoring teams. Both score almost 40 points per game, so this really has potential to be a very entertaining type of shootout game. Louisiana Lafayette has three running backs with at least 750 rushing yards this season. They split the work pretty evenly. Jamarcus Bradley is their leading receiver, 760 yards and seven touchdowns this year, a guy who has been on the radar of NFL scouts for a while now. Tony, what can you tell us about the Raging Cajuns? Of all the players you mentioned, I think Bradley's the guy that is a shoo-in to be selected or will most likely be uh, selected somewhere in the later part of the second half of the, third, of the third day of the draft. He's a very dependable possession type receiver. I see him as the number four at the next level. The faster he runs during pre-draft workouts, the earlier he's going to go. Although I don't see him going any earlier than, say, the middle of round five. The three running backs you talk about, Elijah Mitchell, Raymond Calais, uh, Trey Ragus. They're all going to be in NFL camps next summer. Elijah Mitchell could be drafted uh, late in the seventh round. The other two guys will, at the very worst, or at the very least, be signed as a priority free agents once the draft is over. Now, for our last preview, we'll take a look at the ACC championship game. Unfortunately, it's the only game with a spread higher than 16 and a half points this weekend. But that doesn't mean that there are not some interesting matchups here between Clemson and Virginia Cavs quarterback Bryce Perkins has 27 total touchdowns this season, 16 through the air and 11 on the ground. Obviously, the Clemson defense, top defense in the ACC by far, will be a challenge. It's also the nation's top pass defense. And obviously, when you have players like Isaiah Simmons, A.J. Terrell, Tanner Muse, and Kayvon Wallace in the back seven, that's going to be a difficult team to play football against on the offensive side. Now, looking at the other side of things, obviously, we're missing Bryce Hall from this game. 
would have been interesting to see him against Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson wide receivers, guys like T Higgins, Justin Ross, who isn't quite yet draft eligible, and also Amari Rogers and even DeAndre Overton, who despite only 19 catches this season was invited to the shrine game. There is talent there. He's just buried on the depth chart. Clemson in a lot of ways, like Alabama there with several receivers, Ohio state is another school like that, where these teams have four or five receivers that can play at the NFL level, even if they don't produce in college. Virginia's run defense, though, is a pretty good unit overall. They'll have another challenge, obviously, against Travis Etienne and the Clemson running game. Even with this one being a likely blowout, Tony, the game does have some solid matchups in terms of future prospects. Yeah, very likely a blowout. You know, you got to give Virginia credit because they really have improved on the Bronco Mendenhall to the point where they're in a game like the ACC title game. But the fact is this, they're overmatched against Clemson, and Clemson feels they're being basically uh, – what did uh, Coach Dabble Sweeney said? They're being dissed by the uh, ranking committee that doesn't even want them there. So you, you, you know that they, they want a big blowout here, and they're probably going to get it. The thing about it is you mentioned Travis Etienne, the two linebackers at Virginia, Jordan Mack, the senior, who's a potential late-round pick. Charles Snowden, a guy we talked about over the summer, really hasn't picked up his game as I had hoped. The big, tall guy who's very good in space, should be a good uh, pass rusher. Really haven't seen him make too many plays this year. One matchup that you got to watch is Joe Reed, the receiver from Virginia, who's really had a good uh, season, came in graded as a priority, for, as a, I'm sorry, an undrafted free agent, not even a priority free agent, probably going to get consideration in the late rounds if he runs well. Going up against, uh, you mentioned Kayvon Wallace, Tanner Muse. I also love A.J. Terrell, the cornerback from uh, Clemson. He's made a couple of big plays this year. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that could enter the draft. He's going to be a second-day pick. And obviously also Isaiah Simmons. Someone who I was told is going to enter the draft. Simmons is sort of that undersized linebacker, was a safety as a redshirt freshman, a real impact player. I see him as a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. He's a guy who I don't think he's going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups against Joe Reed. But if Joe Reed runs some shallow underneath the patterns across the middle, Simmons is going to be there ready to cover, potentially knock his head off. So that is a matchup to watch if, in fact, that does take place. That's it for the 98th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Quick programming note for next week's show, we'll be publishing Friday instead of Thursday, because I'll be in sunny San Diego for the baseball winter meetings from Sunday through Thursday while Tony and everyone else here in New York freezes in 30-degree weather and probably gets some snow. So don't be surprised when we don't pop up in your podcast feed in our usual Thursday slot. And on that note, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit